You're listening to Inside the Outdoors, presented by People for Bikes and the Outdoor Industry Association, where we discuss the latest market trends in outdoor recreation. And now, here are your hosts, Kelly Davis and Patrick Hogan. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Inside the Outdoors. I'm your host, Patrick Hogan. In this episode, Kelly and I discuss the process of identifying and mitigating biases as a necessary step in consumer research. How can those of us conducting consumer research make sure that our biases are not affecting our research outcomes? How can we create research instruments that will yield the most powerful and useful insights? Let's get into it. We're talking about extracting bias from analysis, extracting biases from analyses. Yes, we are. So tell me why it's important. As a researcher, it's really important to extract bias so that you're not putting your thumb on the scale when you analyze data. It's very easy to do. It's very easy to walk into an analysis with your own hypothesis, not even admit it to yourself, not even admit it to yourself, and move through an analysis and and you know find that, gee whiz, I found exactly what I thought I'd find here. Yeah. And you know, it's you can report out on that. Maybe you get away with it, maybe you don't. But it's not good research. It's not quality yeah. research. And, you know, frankly, you should be, have it, other analysts, you know, reviewing the data as well to make sure that that your bias isn't infecting your analysis. But it's really important to think about, you know, whenever you're thinking through an issue that requires a, an objective point of view, um, yeah. because object, objective technically is without bias. It's almost, I've never met anybody that doesn't have bias I have a ton of it. You have that a ton person of it. doesn't exist. Yeah. Right. So don't think if you're sitting there, don't think you're exempt. It's not, this is not, um, there's no negative connotation here. There are a lot of kinds of yeah. bias and, we, and, you know, I'm, I'm just going to go through the A's just to start with. Are you mm-hmm. ready for my bias hit, worksheet? Yeah. Hit me. Action bias. Why do we prefer doing something over doing nothing? So when mm-hmm. you ask people, would you rather do X or Y? There's bias in that. Maybe there's a Z you haven't thought about, right? Um, Effect heuristic. Why do we rely on current emotions when making quick decisions? I'm in a shitty mood. That is no time to analyze data. You've every time you go in to analyze data, you've got to you've got to do this. I do this, and it's not a purity march. It's just an. It's like it's like a confessional. It's like I'm in a shitty mood. I'm pissed off at X, Y, and Z, and you Mm -hmm. have to just. It's almost like you. It's not. The exercise of trying to trying to eliminate bias in your analysis is not an exercise in in basically saying I am not biased anymore. I've cured myself of bias. It's yeah. just like okay, I'm in a shitty mood. It's possible that that could that could actually affect yeah, you know just, what I conclude in my analysis, and therefore I just that bias. And, yeah, and you just have to admit it. Yeah. It's a confessional, and I do it every time I start an analysis, and I do it to myself. It's a, I've got a worksheet that I mm-hmm. use. And I go through many, many different kinds of bias, just in the A's. I'm going to read off the A's for you. Action bias, effect heuristic, ambiguity effect, right? That's when we prefer options that we know (laughs) instead Mm, of shit that we don't know, right? Anchoring bias. Why do we tend to rely heavily on the first piece of information we review? That's my anchor. Let's Let's not do that. Attentional bias. I just don't have time to focus on this. This bores me. Um, maybe I'm just not going to pay attention because it doesn't interest me as an analyst. Important. I've analyzed many things I had zero interest in. Um, <laughs> availability heuristic. Why do we tend to think things that happened recently are more likely to happen again? 
So that's just the mm-hmm. A's. That's the A's. Uh, it takes a, if if I'm if I'm doing it, and I usually do it before a major analysis. Like I just got finished yeah. analyzing um, the annual participation data. It's a big, big data set, and I spent about an hour going through my bias worksheet, just checking boxes and saying yes. This is happening. Yes, this is happening. I'm a, but becoming aware of of what was likely to impact my my analysis that day, and honestly, you know, it's it's something that I do professionally, right? But mm-hmm. I think we find after after a certain amount of time of doing things that they become habits in our lives, and so I'm I'm sort of a ridiculous a ridiculous um, identifier bias everywhere. And it yeah. yeah, it becomes interesting. So, all right, that's what I do. I mean, it's weird. I developed that habit over time because sometimes I got burned, right? It's not weird. It's not weird. We've done this in our personal lives, every one of us, for as long as we can remember, right? Don't go shopping when you're hungry because your current state is going to affect the output, right? Don't um don't buy the first car that you see because you're anchoring on that experience and you go, This is as good as it's gonna get. I love this, or like. For me, when I was uh, when I was getting ready to graduate high school and I was trying to choose a college, the first university that I went to, and I don't want to name it because it, 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 that wouldn't be nice, but um, I, I really wanted to go to the first university that I visited because I'd never been to another college campus. And the experience was like, oh, well, college would be so much fun. Look at this thing. Look at this resource they have. Look at this space on campus, whatever. And then I saw more universities and I went, oh, well, there's a lot more options out there and I need to consider my options before making a decision. You know, that that anchoring is something we're all familiar with doing in our personal lives every single day, bringing it into our professional experience of creating tools that are going to gather and make use of information should be natural, you know? Agreed. Absolutely agreed. And well, the flip side of this is I can use all of these biases against people. All of them. I mean, and I, and when I say when I when I say use it against you, marketers are using these all the time, all yeah. the time. And it's I mean, it's there's it's just playing with psychology a little bit. But you know, I can use action bias to to convince you that you know that you should be out outside doing yeah. stuff, not well, sitting you know, on the couch. If you remember in in Freakonomics, I, I, I think it was Freakonomics. There was a story about the JC Penny experience and how JC Penny was always having sales. And, and if the price was X, you know, the, the sale would be like whatever X minus 10% is, is the actual price. Yeah. Um, and then the new CEO came in and said, we're just going to have everyday low prices and there's no sale, but the everyday low price was X minus that 10%. But we don't have that same good feeling as, as when we are, we, we feel like we've won by gaining a discount, clipping a coupon, going to the store and putting it on the counter, you know? Uh, yeah, that 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 is yeah the the personification of of using that bias against you. We know that you want to feel like you have succeeded in getting a good deal that that you've won the negotiation really. Um, instead of hey, no negotiation is necessary. We're just going to give you exactly what you want. Well, I don't have that same satisfaction. Um, so yeah, how interesting that you brought up kind of using it in a marketing sense, using it to the benefit of your own organization. Yeah. Well, you know, I can start with the B's. The first the first listing in the B's of my bias worksheet is bandwagon effect, assuming that we, you know, that we should support the things that are most popular. Yeah, let's talk about pickleball. Uh-huh. Exactly. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> but I, I got a lot of friends that started playing pickleball recently, and I kind of want to go start too, because if everyone else is going that way, then it's gotta be fun, right? 
Exactly. I mean, all of those people can't be wrong, can they? I mean, it's <laughs> got to be the funnest thing ever. And I would market it ex- is exactly that. I would use bandwagon effect to market the crap out of pickleball and all things pickleball. Yeah, I'm not all picking in. on. I'm not picking on pickleball, but, but I, uh, I like that was pickleball. the first thing that, that came to pickleball. mind. Right? It's it's a it's an emerging activity here, it, at least in the Denver area. It's it's new and it's fun and it's exciting and it's something that young folks, middle-aged folks are, are being introduced to and, and like kind of picking up on. Like Peter Piper. Is he picking up on pickles? There you go. (laughs) But yeah, it's, that's, that is an example of how you can use bias to sell things. You know, you could, if you're knowledgeable about these things, um, you can use them to great effect. Mm -hmm. And it sounds bad, doesn't it? Every time, you know, when I'm talking about market research, I'm talking about how to use these things. And talking about, you know, sort of the the deconstruction of influence and mm-hmm. bias is 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 what you find when you deconstruct influence. Well, let's talk about, yeah, deconstruction of influence. I, I really like that. Um, let's circle back to the importance of deconstructing the influence on research, right? And how Correct. if we if we do influence the input, we will of course influence the output, right? If I'm creating a research tool, whether it's um a questionnaire for qualitative interviews or or an online survey or whatever it may be, if I haven't checked my biases before doing so, then the tool that I create will be more likely to yield unproductive results because it's it's already biased and it's just giving me the answers that I wanted to see anyways, you know? Uh, and, and that's not, A, that's not good research and B, that's not gonna be helpful in the marketplace because the marketplace does not reflect my biases. My my biases are my own and and uh, consumers look different from me. Participants yeah, look different from me. There are a lot of, there are so many examples of, of gender bias in research, um, particularly yeah. medical research where, you know, over and over again. And it, for example, um, in, I'm just gonna jump from medical research to this because it's a more salient example. Um, they only use male male crash test dummies for years and years and years. So um, cars are actually safer for men than they are for women. Really, really that's fascinating. It's not surprising at all, but that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, I mean, odd. and there are just so many. There's so many examples of of bias in research, and and it does have negative impacts. Um, for instance, you know, and in, in, I was going to bring up medical medical research where often women weren't included, often people of color mm-hmm. aren't included. And so you get medications that that work effectively for one group. Yeah. And that's where bias can really have um, um, negative impacts on society, frankly. So I oh, take absolutely. this very, yeah, this is why I take bias really, really seriously, um, my own and others, because it can, it can drastically, it can drastically impact society. Let's, can we think of any examples? I, I'll I'll come up with one first and give you a few minutes. But can we think of any examples within the outdoor industry? Just <laughs> well, speaking generally, I, I I'll start. I'll, like we we know that uh, folks who ride bikes are not all avid cyclists, but a lot of us that work at the industry level are avid cyclists who are riding a lot and have been working in in the bike industry for so long that the way that we communicate with each other is different from how those Americans who might ride a couple of times a year might just ride with their friend every once in a while might talk about bikes. And and so if we assume that everyone has a certain familiarity with the product and we ask if you ride road or gravel or mountain, those definitions are not 
shared across across the U.S. You know, like those um, terms that we use to mean a certain type of activity don't necessarily communicate that. And our bias towards avidity is then influencing how someone's interpreting a, a survey and then giving us data which are not as useful as they could be. Correct. And honestly, I mean, just I'm just going to one more thing on gender bias and and yeah, to yeah. relate it to outdoor. Um, there wasn't women specific equipment or apparel for outdoor activity until very, very recently. And, oh, and yeah. it were and we're still working on that, by the way. You got a long ways to go. Yes, we do. Um, and that's another example of how bias can impact um a community and society at large. Yeah, um, I think you're absolutely correct. It's we've we've got we do ha- continue to have a, a bias problem. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't and so you know, assuming that I did a participation report, what if I only looked at one group? What if I only said, okay, well, basically all our participants are this guy and built oh, archetypes yeah. based on that. We did it. And we did an episode on archetypes a while back that actually relates mm-hmm. to this um, because the archetypes that we've created for outdoor right now are certainly based on a, on biased research. Yeah. I, I I'm going to come up with another example. I I've seen, um, bad segmentation work done because you enter the project thinking you know what these segments are. They're going to be like based on really superficial demographic stuff. And you're going to have like a women's segment. And then you're going to have the rest of the segments are going to be all male driven. And that like, as if all women participants or, or purchasers were uh, driven by the exact same drivers, motivated by the exact same motivations. Um, which is not good research, right? Like entering that process, thinking that you already know what the answer is going to be is how you create bad science. I agree. Yeah. That's why my favorite words are, I don't know. That's it. It's a, it's very freeing to allow yourself to not know. It's very freeing to allow yourself to have bias and, and just basically be aware of it and do your best to control it. Um, it's, it's empowering. It's, and it, and it gives you, it, it actually, it colorizes it your view questions. of the world. Yeah, yeah, it does, and it, it allows you to to discover. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite yeah. thing, Patrick. I was talking about this yesterday. My favorite thing in the world, and the reason I do this job, and I still have the same amount of passion, maybe more for it than I than I had when I was younger, is to yeah. be surprised by data, and it, that helps oh. with my mm-hmm. that helps me control bias because I genuinely am looking for that experience, and it's yeah. got to be authentic. It can't be manufactured. It's got to be authentic. It's got to be something that that I thought, damn, that is not what I thought was going on. That is not what I thought was going on. But that's the data. And I can and I can even feel myself all the ways, all the resistance (laughs) to the data, which is fantastic. It's it. And it reminds me of why this is so important. It reminds me. And and yeah, so I don't know if you feel the same way, but, you know, if if we all look through life with less biased eyes, maybe we'll be surprised more often and we can genuinely learn. That's beautiful. Kelly. I love it. That's that's Thanks. so much more positive than your usual downer mood <laughs> where you're talking about how the economy is going to crash and burn and uh, yeah, all these other <laughs> messages we've had over previous episodes. But we spent time talking about why it matters. We've spent time talking about how to recognize it. Let me ask you uh, what to do about it. What's next? So, so we've said... Uh, you know, like, I, I don't know, like I, I do have these biases, let's say. So what, how do I get around it? Um, you don't actually, I mean, you need well, to be, okay. Able- but how do I create yeah. good research? How, how, how do we move along with this project knowing that 
I have the biases I have. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about my process, and this not my, yeah. this may not work for everybody, but this is not something and that I learned in graduate school either, which is a, a point of contention for me. I I am convinced that anybody that comes out um, either of undergrad or graduate school, particularly um, or business school, particularly um, needs needs to have had some kind of training on this. Um, it's it's very very important. But here's my process. I've got my bias worksheet, which I which I sort of previewed for you, and I go through it and I say and and basically I'm just checking a box, yes or no, or I'm making a note. And it's and it's actually an Excel worksheet that I use, and I no one here's a key. Nobody ever sees it ever. Nobody's yeah. ever seen it. I don't share it. Um, I've never felt a need to share it. I started keeping it, in, in, it when I worked in intelligence. So I guess I have shared it because that stuff is available for anybody with a clearance to see. But, you know, the idea was that I was just, I was going through this and admitting to myself what was going on. And frankly, when I go through the list for each of the bias, I what I'm analyzing in myself is a feeling. You know, when I think of that and I try and think mm-hmm. of an example of where I would feel that and and sort of marking that the way that feels so that when I'm and, and you know, it's just an awareness exercise. And then when I start doing the analysis, when I if I'm going through data and I get that feeling, I get one of those feelings that I can identify with that bias, then it allows me to say, hey, there might be a problem here. Let me let me just go through this again. Actually, you know looking for any kinds of, of, of analysis bents that may be there because of that particular bias. That's my process. And at the end of the project, I do it again. I go through that bias sheet that I, that I did at the beginning and I go through it at the end and make any notes where maybe I felt like I didn't do as great of a job as I could have. So that next time, you know, I'll be more aware of that and more aware of the heuristic in my own head that causes me to think that way, or just naturally react to something, to a piece of data in a specific way. And I can, I can keep that measured a little bit more and keep, and just be aware of it. You know, it's not a fight. You're not fighting with yourself. Mm -hmm. You're not blaming yourself. You're not, it's not self-improvement. It's none of those things. It's just, it's just knowing yourself and knowing a heuristic. I should probably be clear. A heuristic is something that's basically built in your brain before age six that uses a shortcut and other people got to inject that shit in your head. So, you know, I, I have, I have some, some bias in my parents that probably got injected into my head back then. And yeah, I could choose to like go to therapy and try and change the heuristic, but being aware of it seems to work for here for this, for this particular instance. And yeah, I guess it has led to some self-improvement over the years. I I couldn't, you can't help it unless, unless you've got a bias that you think is great. You know, maybe maybe you think it's cool to to think that the most recent thing that happened is going to definitely happen again. Maybe that's mm. cool with you. I don't know, but it's. I think that it's that's that's my process. If anybody wants to to go through my process with me, I you know I'll I, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure that my worksheet is in usable condition because sometimes yeah. you know, and I will share it as a link in this podcast. Let me also offer this up because I know we have folks that do their own research for brands or or whatever it may be, but another great resource would just be to have someone else, have someone who doesn't look like you or act like you just come talk about what you're doing and, and present them with the, the framework, the research framework, the research questions, um, and really dig into what it is that we're trying to learn and how we're trying to learn it. 
and then be completely open to that feedback, right? And a lot of times it's easy to be critical of feedback when it comes in regarding a tool that you've created and you go, well, absolutely not. You must not get it. This is, this is what I'm trying to do. You don't get what I'm trying to do, whatever. But um, allowing yourself to be vulnerable to the fact that you might have some biases in this product, let someone else tell you, hey, I, I think that you should probably reframe this or maybe ask this additional question or address this gap, which doesn't seem to be addressed. Uh, and and that's been really valuable too. Yeah, I think so. And it's it's really important in whatever editing process you go through on your mm-hmm. reporting, you know, to have people, to have your editors and your designers, frankly, to and everybody that reads it, give them the opportunity to provide you feedback, um, yeah. especially, especially on bias. I mean, I always say, one of my favorite biases, when I hear my favorite bias is Dunning-Krieger effect. And I think that's, it's it's something that we've been talking about quite a bit in the public discourse, like sort of a name calling thing, like congratulations, you know, I'm going to give you the Dunning-Krieger award for the day. You know what Dunning-Krieger is. It's no, basically, no, <laughs> Dunning-Krieger is, is the interesting effect that people that don't have very much expertise and knowledge in a particular in a particular area, often think that their expertise is higher than those who have spent their life studying said, said yeah. um, issue or subject area. And it, yeah, there's an inverse. You and I, it's basi- yeah, it's basically you, you idiots that know. think they know it. It's being a know-it-all when you're definitely yeah. not a know-it-all. Boy, it's like, funny. it's a, you know, I think of all the work I did in snow sports where, you know, we would ask everybody to to yeah. estimate their level of expertise and without fail <laughs> without fail sorry men you tend to overestimate your level of expertise where women underestimate all part of the dunning creek oh effect. sure yeah there, there was a meme going around a while ago that said something to the effect of um you know like my husband with absolutely no training really and genuinely believes that he could land the plane if if the pilot were to pass out or something like are you uh-huh are you kidding? <laughs> of course you couldn't. <laughs> There's no way. <laughs> I mean, it's. I guess it's possible. You'd have to. You're going to have a CFI in your ear telling you everything to do, and you better hope yeah. it's a single engine piston because you're yeah. not landing anything else. May, maybe you have a shot at multi engine. Surely piston. you can't be serious. Shh, don't call me Shirley. Thank you. Stop calling me Shirley. I was was worried that last episode was going to be the pun episode, but I think we've worked a few into this one too. I, I hope so. That's good. I hope so. I might change my name to Dunning Krieger just for fun. They're gonna be hilarious. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's actually it's an important bias because it, it, you know there are times when, especially when you're talking about understanding the difference between core consumers, casual consumers, there are times mm-hmm. when this mm-hmm. is it plays in. You know everything about your consumers because you are your consumer, and in fact, you are not your consumer. You're just not. Yeah. yeah that, that's. Um, I'm sure every industry faces that issue, thinking that we are our consumers. And um, you, you said it, I think, a, a week or two ago, whenever it was about um, just really opening up the question to who do you think you're marketing to? Who are you marketing to? Or, or maybe it was customers. Who who do you think your customers are? Who do you want your customers to be? Who are mm-hmm. your customers? Those could be completely different answers. And, and um, without really knowing your audience, you could have the completely wrong answer to all three of those questions. You can. Yeah, one of the one exercise that I ask um, my my clients to do when I'm doing sort of the custom research or or mm-hmm. um, private consulting on the outside is, you know, I need you to right now just describe your customer to me, 
And I need everybody that is involved in marketing on your staff to describe your customer as, as, as in, in as much detail as you can muster. And then we're going to compare those. And then we're going to talk about how you're going to grow your, your, your customer base. And yeah. oftentimes I find, I find either a lot of variance in the descriptions or very, very little. And both are a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it, this is another example of why it's so important to, to enjoy looking at actual data, because this is one area where I'm often surprised Yeah. in segmentation, in, in actual segmentation. Because it turns out not everybody's like you. Go figure. <laughs> <laughs> You're kidding. Hang on. Yeah. Uh, well, that's perfect. So, so yeah, not everyone's like me. It's important to understand that there are other folks with other experiences and that um, injecting research with my bias will not identify those different folks with different experiences. And if we fail to do that, then we're doing bad science. So let's prioritize um, creating effective research tools that are going to generate high quality data. And, and that's how we're successful in the marketplace. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And if you're out there doing lay research, great, but be aware, you know, yeah. you have bias and not everybody's like you and you need to try and be surprised by data. Try it. You might like it. <laughs> try it. You might like it. That's perfect. Uh, so many slogans in this episode. I don't know. Try it. You might like it. We need coffee mugs or something. Thanks for listening to Inside the Outdoors, presented by People for Bikes and the Outdoor Industry Association. We'll see you next time.